I invite you, if you have a Bible or a phone, open up with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We also have some hard copy Bibles in the back. Feel free to grab one if you need one. It is March Madness season. Anyone into March Madness? Been watching some of the tournaments? My mother, yes, absolutely. She is She is one, right? <laughs> Actually, we, we've We've been watching a number of the games, just CBS. I'm not buying a bunch of streaming packages for uh, for TNT. We got CBS, saw a lot of good games, and uh, it's, it's so funny. A lot of the graphics that you see advertising March Madness, those teams are already out of the tournament. So forget the number one seeds, forget the number two seeds. They're not making it. It's the underdogs. It is the year of the underdogs. The 16th seed, which if you're not... If you're not up on college basketball, it's okay. That's the lowest seed in each region. They're just lucky to be there because they just so happened to win their no-name conference. Whatever they wouldn't have made it otherwise. And here they are upsetting the number one teams and blowing away the experts. Because the experts thought they had to figure it out who's going to win. They never know. They never do know. But why do these underdog teams rise to the occasion and, and beat those number one seeds? I, I dare say the number one reason is motivation, right? You got nothing to lose. Everyone's counting you out. No one picked you to win in their bracket. You might as well go for it. And as I think of March Madness, I think of these underdog teams, I think of us in our Christian journey, our faith journey, trying to understand how to walk with Jesus in joy and pursue him all of our days. That's what we're saying, right? I will praise him all of my days. But you know what? I get beat down. I get discouraged. The world counts me out. Not to mention all the comforts that I have around me. And it's just easy to get distracted. To take my eyes off the prize. And that's why the Apostle Paul, who writes to us under guidance of the Spirit of God. So this is God's word speaking to us through one of his servants. As I pray, he will speak through me this morning. And Paul tells us, we need to run hard in our Christian race. Why? Because that's how you become more like Jesus. Run hard in the Christian race to become more like Jesus. Now, I have to say a word before we go into that, because I'm assuming you know something already. In order to run the Christian race, you have to actually be what? A Christian. You have to actually be a believer. And we've spent the first two and a half, you know, almost three chapters now, where Paul is just laying out what is the gospel? How does someone have a relationship with Jesus? And he's made it very clear. This is who Jesus is. The son of God who came down, who died to take care of all of our sins, all of our failures, cover them up, and to give us new life with God. Oh, and by the way, he raised from the dead on the third day to stomp it and stick it to Satan, to, to defeat death and hell, and to give us a new way of living that goes beyond the grave. This is our Jesus. This is our King. This is the gospel. And we believe it by faith. Because that's all it is at the end of the day. This is God's word. Whether I want to believe it or not, God's word remains. A Christian says, I put my faith in the solid rock that is Jesus. When we do that, we are now placed onto the racetrack. And we can run. Because Jesus has a hold of our hearts. And I invite you all to keep coming back to worship with us. we got Easter Sunday coming up. So pumped. This is a defining holiday for our Christian faith. So, taking into account that we understand the gospel, we put our faith in Jesus, here's three ways that we can continue to run hard in our race to become like Jesus. We need to stay motivated. We need to learn from the example of others. 
and we need to set our hope in the right place. So now I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21, because this is the context. It's God's word. I'm not making it up. You follow along with me and make sure of that, okay? Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this. Paul says, I haven't arrived. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He's good like that. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even subject all things to himself. That is God's word. So what would God have to say to us this morning? Hey, stay motivated. Stay motivated in your Christian race. And Paul wants to make sure we're clear and on the same page with him. Because he is waxing a bit eloquently about what the Christian journey is. He's telling us to fix our eyes on heaven. He's telling us to follow his example. And the question might be thought, or the thought might cross your mind. Oh, I guess Paul is just so super and spiritual. No one can attain to Paul's level and... You know, so I don't even know why I should try in my journey. I'm never going to get to Paul's level. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm talking here about what we should do, but I'm just like you guys in that I don't always do what I ought to. I mess up. I haven't already obtained this. It's like the word obtained. Get a, get a hold, get a grasp on it. Like you got a grasp on a donut or a cup of coffee. Paul says, I haven't attained this yet. I'm running my race just like you are. And one day I'll see Jesus face to face, but I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. And we need to be careful. There's a false teaching out there called perfectionistic theology. Some people believe and teach that you can achieve perfection in this life. That, you know, if you, if you read your Bible enough, if you pray hard enough, you will never sin again. And I would like to talk to their spouses and ask them how well that's going for them. Really? You never sin again? I was actually, I've been in churches where the pastor is like, I only sinned two times this past week. I'm like, I'm immediately looking for the spouse because you all know that's a flat out lie. Even if you think you only sinned twice this past week, how many times did you sin by accident and not even know it? God's grace covers all that too. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. It reminds me of this reel I saw on Instagram and this runner, he's running his race alongside seven other guys, and he's surging. He's got the momentum. He's going to reach that finish line first. And right as his face crosses in front of the other runners, like he's going to surge forward to the finish line now, 
He looks over at them, gives the peace sign, you know, like rubbing it in their face, and he immediately hits the dirt. He immediately trips, doesn't even place, doesn't even finish in the race. He just walks off the track. He's so humiliated. That's what God thinks of perfectionistic Christians. Peace, y'all. I'm mature. I, okay. Yeah. No. You know how I was really going to do that, right? Hey, I got you. So we press on, not because we think we're better than anyone else, because we're not. There's only one person that we want to be compared to, and that's Jesus. Has anyone reached Jesus' level of perfection? Then we all fall short. I need to stay motivated because I'm not there yet. So, so Paul tells us three different ways. I press on. I strain forward. I press on towards the goal. Paul says, I haven't lost my motivation. I'm not... I might sin, I might fall short, but I haven't lost my motivation to follow after Jesus. I want to make it my own. What is the it? It's I want Jesus to change my life, and I want people to see him through me. I want to be like Christ. This is what we call the doctrine, we use a big word now, doctrine of sanctification. We all realize we ain't holy and we fall short. But for those who are truly in Christ, the Holy Spirit works in us and makes us bit by bit a little bit more like Jesus, sanctifies us, sets us apart. So we press on because we want to see God have his fullest work in me. Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. Do you remember who even put you on the racetrack to begin with? What did Jesus do for you? If you're not sure what he did, I will tell you. The God of this universe stepped down into the most humble form, the, the form of a servant, a human being. So now he, he sneezes and he needs his diaper changed and he needs to be fed. And he did that so he could live a perfect human life in our place because we're not perfect. We're sinners and we deserve a sinner's punishment. He did all that so that he could cover our sins through the cross. Jesus did that to make a beggar and an enemy of God his friend. So my motivation is not just to be a good person. There's someone who's changed my life. He loves me. He literally died a horrible, gruesome death for me. So Christ got a hold of me. How can I not give my all and focus on him and prioritize him? Paul tells us again in verse 13, hey, I do not consider that I've made it my own yet. Again, reality check, not there yet. But one thing I do, this is the one thing on my mind. I forget what's behind me, and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. Have you all ever tried running somewhere while looking backwards? It's not going to go well. I don't recommend it. You're going to fall flat on your face. What's Paul telling us here? Hey, we all have regrets in the past. We all have issues in the past. We all have people that we're burdened about or, or things in the past that weigh on our mind. But there's got to be one prime focus elevating, elevated above all else, and that is Jesus. Yeah, I screwed up this past week. But Jesus... You know, yeah, I really want to do this. I, you know, I feel the pull. I feel the temptation. I want to take a break from this Christian race. But I just can't get over Jesus. 
That's it. You think life doesn't get so hard, you just want to quit? And in that moment, you evaluate your priorities. And your greatest priority is always going to win. Your greatest priority is always going to win. If it's self, self will always win. If it's Jesus, you're able to keep going. You're able to keep pursuing the prize. Because he has made you his own, and you can't get over that. He won't let you. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. And just like runners give their best when they reach the finish line, they're reaching out. They're straining towards the prize. Paul says, I'm pressing on towards my prize, all right? I'm reaching out. And what's he talking about? The prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This calling that God's put on my life to love him, to know him, to live for him, and to experience not just a pie-in-the-sky pie kind of spirituality. We talk about spiritual things but to have his grace and peace in my day-to-day -day life. I have his joy in my day-to-day -day life. God doesn't need us to run for him. I certainly need to run after him because he is where the joy is. And Paul says, look, let's talk, let's talk reality. Those of us who are spiritually mature have made a habit of forgetting the things that are behind and we're straining forward to the things that are ahead. Because you've lived a consistent life pattern. You're in a rhythm now where I don't run backwards. I don't sit down and I don't take breaks. I don't run hard for Jesus one week and then I check out for two weeks. Oh, but then I'm back at it and I'm back on the track. A spiritual maturity is like a workout. You don't quit early. You don't tap out. You don't skip leg day. Day after day, I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm living forward for Christ. That's maturity. So it involves humility. I don't have it all together. And it involves persistence, consistency, to follow after Christ. To be spiritually mature is to grow up and to grow stronger in our race. And Paul tells us, hold true to that. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged and washed out. Don't let other people take you away from where you need to be. He says, only hold true to what you have attained. Another way you can put that is stay in your lane. Right? In a race, you stay in your lane. Now, I think, I think if I cut across the grass in the middle, I'll get there quicker. Well, you can try that, but you're going to get tripped up. Because the race is forward in your lane. And sometimes we get to thinking, well, I can figure it out quicker than Jesus. I'll pray and I'll tell God what he needs to do. Bless God's heart. He just doesn't understand my needs. He just doesn't understand the situation. I got to kind of twist his arm and get him to do what I want him to do. Paul says, no, no, no. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There are no shortcuts. You haven't figured out a better way. Stay true. But I really want to do this. That boundary is there for a reason. God knows what is best for you. But everyone else is doing this. Yeah, they are. But Jesus is this way. Do you really want to go where everyone else is? The joy is where Jesus is. Stay true to where you, what you have attained. Don't give up. Don't let it go. And I don't know where you are in your race this morning. Excuse me. Well, some of you I do. You're in our small group or I'm discipling you one-on-one, -on -one, so I got a little, little idea of where you're at, but a lot of you I don't. 
Are you stuck in the past? Today's a great day to receive God's grace and walk forward in it. Let go of the past. Repent of that sin. Let go of those doubts and fears. Trust the Lord. Walk by faith. Perhaps there's more of us here that have grown a little complacent in our Christian journey. We get satisfied. We see that we're farther along in our faith journey than we were a few years ago. And we're certainly farther along than those people sitting next to you in church right now. So why are you running so hard? We slow down. We get complacent. If that's you this morning, today is a new day. Today can be leg day, arm day, whatever day. Keep motivated to pursue Jesus. And let me add a word here. Are you blaming others for your own lack of joy? Because no one else dictates the race that you run. That's between us and God. Others encourage us. Others help us. But you run your race and you entrust them to God to run their race. Let's rediscover our motivation for following Christ today. Secondly, Paul tells us not only do we need motivation, we need to learn from the examples of others. In verses 17 to 19, Paul tells us, you know, we often make the mistake of setting goals that just apply to us. And I know this might sound confusing because I just said, run your race and let other people run their race. What I didn't say, though, is to skip over this whole idea of discipleship, which is where believers help each other grow in the faith. So it's not just, okay, I'm on my track, I'm running after Jesus, forget everybody else. No, Paul says, look to the example of others, which means we should have spiritually mature people in our life that we're interacting with on a regular basis. In worship and discipleship and fellowship, and we're serving together, we're evangelizing together. Even in verse 15, he said, us, let us. So there is a group effort. He's writing this letter to a church, the church at Philippi. They're not going to receive that letter if they're not together and willing to hear from the example of others. People, apart from the Bible and the Spirit of God, no one has a greater spiritual impact on you than people. And they can have positive examples on you, and they can have negative examples for you. So let's look at that. Verse 17. Here's a positive example. Brothers, join in imitating me, but not like a proud moment, okay? Also keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, look for people who are leaving a positive impression of Jesus. It's that idea of a mold or a pattern. When someone looks at the pattern of someone else's life, they can see either a consistency of following Jesus, putting him above all, even when they have to humble themselves, even when they have to admit they've messed up. Versus, well, I'm not really patterned after Jesus. I'm kind of putting on a show. Is that going to leave a good example for you or someone else? I can think right now of some people in my life that claim to be Christians and live a completely different way. That is a turnoff for sure. And that's why Paul tells us, before we talk about the negative examples... Can we give thanks for the people that we have in our life that point us to Jesus? Or you're here because someone invited you to church. They care about your soul. They want you to know Jesus and to grow in him. We're here as a church plant because we care about people who are far from God. And we're going to take all the time in the world it takes to get to know them and their needs and love them and reach them with the truth. We'll be here all week for that. Well, not in this physical room. But in the community, at Panera, you look us up. We're here. The people model Christ to people. 
The New Testament is full of terminology about the church of Christ. He calls us his flock. He calls us a community. He calls us the assembly, which is literally what the word church means, ecclesia, assembly, people coming together. A vine or a tree calls us a city, a family, a building. One of the terms I love most, though, apart from the family of God, is his body. We're the body of Christ. And in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, Paul tells us Jesus, risen, ascended Jesus on his throne, gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And if that's where it stopped, you'd be like, okay, I mean, that, those, are, those are pretty good gifts. I'm, I'm thankful for pastors. I'm thankful for teachers. I'm thankful for evangelists. But here's why he gave us gifted people. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To build up the body of Christ so that we attain unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood. In other words, we look like Christ. You cannot fully conform to the image of Christ without running alongside other believers. It's impossible. Think about your body. Do you work out just one leg? Or two. One arm, two. If you quit and you only do one, okay, we, we need to talk. How weird would it be to have a runner who's got this jacked up leg over here and a scrawny leg over here, scrawny arms, and really bad at cardio, and the lungs aren't developed, can't catch his breath. Oh, but he's got a jacked up leg. I bet he's going to go far. Come on. Why do we do that in our Christian journey? I can run hard after Jesus. I can use my gifts. Look at me. The whole point that God gave you is to build up the body. So that we give people a full picture of Christ. I'm not going to give you a full picture of Christ. I'm going to give you a glimpse of Christ. But when you see me love other people, when you see me love my family, when you see me share the gospel with neighbors, now you're seeing a fuller picture of Christ. But it takes people it takes the body grace is a group project and i want to invite you all to april 1st saturday morning it's a group project to go to the beach to pray for our community to sing songs together at the beach to share the gospel i want some of you to share testimonies i want some of you to share from your life journey what you've learned about jesus and invite people into that relationship if i go alone and i just hold a microphone I'm just another guy yelling on the street corner. But if they see our church family there, loving each other like you guys do so well, caring, praying, that's going to get their attention. So come on out. Let's do that together as a body. That's the positive examples that we have in our life. Thank God for the church. But sadly, there are negative examples. So negative that Paul breaks down in tears. He's crying his eyes out. Because people that he knows personally, people that he cares about, probably some people that said they used to care about him, now walk as enemies of Christ. They're false examples of what it means to be a Christian. They're opposing the gospel. Now, we're not told a lot more details. Uh, are they false teachers? Are they teaching? Well, you have to believe in Jesus and do good works and get circumcised and act Jewish. 
Now, there were some that he referenced earlier uh, in, in last week's message. Perhaps that's who he's referring to here, but I kind of wonder if it's some people who claim the message of Jesus, they claim to be Christians, but their life doesn't match up. They're not walking the walk. To me, that's a bigger problem than someone who just doesn't understand the gospel. Because someone who doesn't understand the gospel, we can try to clarify. We can go back to the teaching of Jesus. But someone who says, yeah, 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 all day long, but their feet are taking them backwards. What do you do with that? What's wrong? What? Something's wrong with your soul. You're going to cause me to cry. You're heading towards the way of destruction. That word destruction, it's not talking like a little campfire. It's talking about eternal condemnation. The eternal no of God on the way of lawlessness and disobedience. Someone who rejects the person in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's their finish line. It's fiery. It's punishing. It's wretched. Because God is just. He will not allow sin to stand before him forever. And he will punish his enemies. He's the righteous judge. He's earned that. We don't judge God. He judges us because he's the one perfect one. And let me say this clearly. Hell will be full of good people. Hell will be full of people who were far more gifted than you and I. Hell will be full of people who preached sermons to thousands of people. Let that sink in for a minute. Because they never actually knew Christ and repented of their sins. But boy, they could sure put on a good show for everybody. God is not mocked. If your heart has not bowed the knee to Jesus and received him as Lord, the end is destruction. That's what we all deserve. And the only difference between someone who goes to the lake of fire and someone who spends eternity with Jesus is, Jesus found me at the cross. I repented of my sin. I gave it to Jesus. I'm just as sinful, if not more sinful, than that person. But God was gracious to me, and I gave him my life. That's the only difference, and that makes all the difference in the world. And if you're not sure, how do I tell if someone's headed towards destruction or headed towards eternal life? Because I don't know the heart. Well, Paul tells us, the end is destruction, but on the way there, who is their God? It says, their belly. Their belly is their God. In other words, what they feel like doing is what they do. They're not bowing the knee to Christ. They're not following the word of God. They follow themselves. They try to find joy in this world. They don't bow the knee to Jesus. They bow the knee to the mighty dollar or uh, to, to whatever passions they're feeling in the moment, to that relationship. And there's no easier place to do that than Sarasota, right? Or Lakewood Ranch. We have everything. We have the beach. We have pristine sand, we have pools, we have more entertainment options than I ever dreamed about as a kid growing up in the middle of a cornfield in Decatur, Illinois. I mean, come on, any restaurant you want, you will find here. And if it's not here yet, they're building it. So just wait about six months. We've got options. We can please our belly all day long. The clubs are here, the nightlife is here. The wealth is here. So be careful when we're pursuing life in Sarasota, if your dream of affluence and comfort 
looks just like everybody else's dream who's not met Jesus, there's a disconnect. I, I can work hard. I can make a living. I can save up money. I can have fun. I can go to a restaurant. Those aren't bad things. But who do we serve? Do we serve me or do we ultimately serve Christ? And people who serve themselves, they will boast about it and tell you. Oh, man. I had fun last night. Yep. Got drunk last night. Messed around last night. Had some fun. Tried something new. It was good. Or they'll tell you about their exploits at work. Let me tell you about the promotion I got. Let me tell you about the new car parked in my driveway. They're boasting in the things that are actually pulling them away from God. So what do we boast in? People who are headed for destruction boast in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But for those, who us, those of us who are in Christ, we can learn from the positive examples of those who said, I was willing to lay down that promotion. I was willing to lay down that fancy house. I was willing to lay down that dream of a car in order to serve Christ. They leverage their life for others and for the gospel. So just a little self-evaluation before we move on. What, what positive example of Christ followers are in your life? And are you humble enough to slow down and walk alongside them? Paul said he needed the church in his life. If the apostle Paul needed the church in his life, what do we need? Five churches? Seriously, I need a lot of help. So I set my mind on Christ, I follow him, and I surround myself with people who are going to show me Christ day in and day out. Here's the third thing, and I'll be done. Paul says, I need to set my hope in the right place. I need to set my hope in the right place. In order to not get burned out running this Christian race, I got to have hope, but it can't be a false hope. So he gives us as strong of a contrast as possible. People who are headed for destruction, living for now, living for the flesh. But our citizenship over here is where? It's in heaven. Heaven is my home. That's a reality. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've bowed the knee to him, God is your father and his home is your home. Come what may in this life. Those who are justified will be glorified. We will be with him. We'll be like Jesus. Not God, <laughs> but we'll be like God in his love and his joy and his mercy and in perfect bodies. So how often do we think about heaven? Some people will tell you, oh, don't think about heaven. It's too beautiful. You can't imagine it. You know, focus on doing earthly good. Paul says, actually, think often about heaven because heaven is our eternal home. And when I remember that, all of a sudden, the key to my car, the key to my house, I mean, look at this key right here. It's got holes all up in it. It's like wearing away. There were other keys on this ring. I don't know where they're at. Um, they're not to our house, though. So if you find a key, it's not going to match our house. That's a good reminder. This stuff wears out. My car wears out. I got it new, and it's, what, 12 years later now? It's wearing out. Time to replace a whole lot of parts. But my heavenly home? 
nothing gets messed up there. Nothing gets wore out there. Jesus never gets tired of me there. There's joy there. So why am I trying to build heaven on earth? If anything, I want to see the kingdom of heaven advance in people's lives. I want to take as many people with me as possible. I want you to know the joy. Hear me. If you're here this morning, there's no reason you can't spend eternity in heaven with Jesus and know his joy forever. It's a simple invitation. Will you receive Jesus as your Savior? Will you receive God as your Father? Will you bow the knee? We've got eternity. When Paul wrote this letter, what was the big empire of the day? It was Rome. I was talking to one of you the other day about this, about the lasting impact of Rome. Rome's impact continues to today, but Rome's not around anymore, is it? All the kingdoms of this earth fade away. America, one day, will fade away. One day, Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom. He came humbly in a manger, but one day he's coming back on a white horse with his armies, and he's going to make everything right. Whew, I hope it's today. So my hope is not in the United States of America. And when it's time for the next election cycle, whether that candidate is in prison or out of prison, it doesn't matter. Let's stop putting our hope in politics and start putting our hope in Jesus. Because he's the one righteous king. And his kingdom will never end, never pass away, never be corrupt. It's perfect. And every day I run, I get to represent my king. That's the point. If my home is in heaven, I run as a citizen of heaven. That's my team. That's the jersey I wear. Because I'm awaiting my Savior who's going to set everything up. And here's the final promise, and I'll be done. He will transform us to be like his glorious body. That's a guarantee. Because I know we're tired. I know we get weary. Running this Christian race is hard work. And all the time you're questioning, is it really worth it? And Paul's final promise to us is, it's worth it. Because one day, one day, we will see the one we've been running for, and he will tell us, well done, good and faithful runner. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my home, enjoy your rest, you've worked hard, and I will repay every drop of sweat, every tear, every rejection, every discouraging week. I will repay. So if God could make all things right today, if God could make me totally mature and perfect today, and he hasn't, why not? What is God up to? So as we transition into our application, how do we apply this message? How do we live out what Paul is writing here? We tend to doubt if God can really do what he says he will do. That's just the rub. I can preach a good faith to you from up here, but you know, I struggle with the same doubts and fears as any one of you guys. Just like Paul. I haven't arrived yet. I doubt. I have fears. I have sin. I get struggling. I'm tired of it. Is it really worth it? God, what are you doing? He's growing our faith. So the journey is just as important as the finish line. Christian, don't give up. Keep pursuing Christ. He is worth it. He will accomplish everything he plans to do. Nothing is a waste. Oh, and Living Hope Church, a new church in our community. We've got all the odds stacked against us. 
We are a team that's looking to see God do a great work here. If God wanted us to be 5,000 people strong today, we would be. But we're not. Which means he's got something to teach us first. Are we willing to learn that lesson and press forward in faith and watch what only God can do? Keep pressing on. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. And that, um, Tony, do you mind running the, uh, the slideshow for the final song? I just realized our uh, song, our technician is out running Children's Church now. So uh, I would appreciate that. Thank you. I invite you to, to bow your head and close your eyes, or you can look down at the floor and, and, you know, just don't look at my ugly face for a second. And I want you to think about what God is teaching you this morning. Are you running the Christian race? Do you know God personally? He's a personable, wonderful God who loves you so much. He didn't even spare his own son. And if he loves you that much, I dare you to find someone more loving than that. Someone more powerful and secure and caring than that. Someone who's a greater comfort to you than that. You won't find him. So what's keeping you from putting your faith in him? It's time to admit you don't have it all together. But Jesus does. So embrace him. Receive him as Lord. And Christian, we need to run our race as if Jesus truly is Lord over it. I'm also going to ask, are we living our best life now? Or are we laying up treasure in heaven? Are we living as if Sarasota is our forever home? Or is it the shores of heaven? If I were to speak to the people who know you best, and I were to ask them, what's the one thing you know about our church member? Would they say the one thing they prize and talk about above all else is Jesus? That's the one thing. There's other things. That's the one thing. What would people say when they witness our lives and our example? We've been given another day, living hope. Enjoy Jesus. Run after him with full abandon. No one can hinder you. The question is, will we be motivated to run? We value what he values. One day, we will cross that finish line and receive the full prize. And we will know that everything was worth it. If we can help you take that next step in your spiritual journey, Maybe you're not even ready to run after Jesus. You're just trying to figure out how to walk without tripping flat on your face. We've all been there. And some days we're still there. Why don't you let one of us come alongside you, pray over you, share some truth from God's word. Maybe we need to set up coffee or lunch and, and let a mature believer disciple you. Walk with them a while, and pretty soon you'll be running. Not because we figured it out but because someone modeled, to it, modeled that to us a long time ago.